imagine having a bad day and just watching that entire amount of money go right out the window. Hey Rob, it's 2016. Welcome to the podcast. This is season two of All the Responsibility, None of the Authority, the podcast for product managers and entrepreneurs and other innovators. How's your New Year's going? It's going pretty well. It's been busy since getting back. I got away to New Zealand for a little while, which is really nice, but you know, hit the ground running and so far it's been good. How about you? Good start to the year as well for me. So I was thinking that we might talk about today the whole concept of the business value of product management. It's something I touched on in the uh, last season of the podcast. And of course, in the show notes, I'll give a link to that and some other articles about it. And I thought it was interesting that Rich Miranoff actually had a little article about that toward the end of the year as well. And I know there were some questions that, that folks had, and and I know, Rob, you, you had some perspectives on this. So I thought it would be a good topic to go back into it's I think it's a super important topic for product managers totally agree so the basic idea as as you recall is that just like when you hire a salesperson you have a certain expectation of how much revenue that salesperson is going to get in the in the case of enterprise software typically that's going to be around a million dollars of revenue a year for a salesperson once they've ramped up well I thought what is that equivalent for a product manager and and I focused on enterprise software since that's what I know and and maybe that's one of the questions we can talk about is what, what is the story for non-enterprise software product managers. But if you do a little arithmetic based on the normal ratios of product managers to developers and the normal ratio of developers to revenue, you come up with a number of about 5 to $10 million. That's what I've sort of pegged as the business value of a product manager. It's about 5 to $10 million of revenue per year. And I characterize that a little bit as sort of forward-looking revenue, right? It's it's sort of the, the way to think about it is if, if you hire a new product manager for your enterprise software company, your sort of goal or expectation is that product manager will cause there to be around 10, 5 to $10 million of additional revenue over the course of the next, maybe a, the following 12 months or the 12 months after that, right? So it's an annual number, but it is also sort of a, a lagging number. So that's, a, that's the basic summary of the idea. And so then I thought, well, how do you make use of this idea? <laughs> And and like salespeople, salespeople take their number that they know, like a million dollars of revenue a year, and one of the things that they do is they divide that down into into revenue per minute. And that comes out to be something like $45 of revenue per minute. The other thing they do is they also break it down via their funnel, how many calls they need to make, basically, in order to make a sale. And they figure out, well, if I make 11 calls a day, whatever the number happens to be, that's going to maybe re- represent one appointment that I make. And every appointment maybe has a one, a 25% chance of turning into a quote. And every quote maybe has a 25% chance of turning into a sale. And so they, they work backwards from their numbers to say, oh, I need to do 11 calls a day if I want to make my number. As product managers, we have a similar set of calculations we do. It comes out to where each day we need to make around, or each hour we need to make around $1,000 worth of value for the company for next year. And so that's the basic story. That's uh, It's exciting and inspiring, but also quite depressing. Because imagine having a bad day and just watching that entire amount of money go oh, right out the window. You know, I think that's a really good point. And 
just like the salesperson, you know, most of the sales calls that they make on a given day don't result in a sale finally at the end of the, at the, end of the year. Um, you know, a lot of what we do is not going to represent, is not going to work, turn into a dollar or $10,000. It's more, we have a bigger picture. Right. Now, I'd say there's a couple things to pick at here or say in another way to digest and really try to understand where the timing of this makes sense. Because this isn't necessarily something that's going to happen on the very first PM hire. It's also not going to happen before there's a PM. And, you know, your second, your third, your fourth, as you get a whole product organization on an enterprise software company, I would expect that there's probably going to be some fluctuations here. But it does, I mean, it makes sense for, say, an Oracle or a Salesforce where you're at the scale of having a certain number of PMs and the products are already running and the value that Mm -hmm. they're driving is in sort of steering the ship product-wise. Right. So I'd be interested to see, do you have any thoughts on the early stages of a company? Maybe not quite running, but say like a series A company that has a product that's got a decent fit in the market and it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's doing 5 million a year. Yeah, so I, I do actually. I, th- I actually think the ratio works pretty well even down into a startup. One of the things that I always say is there's there's always product management, even if there's not a product manager. In a small comp- in a very small startup, the product management is done by the founders, one of the founders or maybe multiple of the founders working together. Um, you know, and if you think about what we've talked about as the basic fundamental function of product management, it's find a market problem and validate it, create a solution to that problem, take it to market, and then do the go-to-market pieces of how to get people to buy that. And so if you think about a startup, it's got five people in it, a couple people developing. There is product management happening, but it's typically going to be the founders who are doing that. And then at some point, the company gets big enough where they need to have somebody who does that as their full-time job. Let's say that's around 20 people, right? That actually works out to where uh, the ratios work out pretty well for that as well. If you think about a 20-person small software company, it's probably got between five and 10 developers, which means it's got between five and $10 million of revenue looking forward because that's the, that's the typical ratio for developer to revenue. And that's about when you needed a product manager, right? Five to 10 million in revenue and growing from there. So I actually think you can use it as a good metric to like, if you're thinking of joining a startup, if you can, if you know the revenue and you know how many developers there are and you know how many product managers there are, you can make a good stab at understanding is this company product management heavy or product management light do they really need another product manager at this point or do they are they behind in terms of having product managers so like i joined my company and it was really product management light they really needed a, an additional product manager to help get them set up to do the growth that they needed to do they just didn't have enough product management in the organization to do the kind of market problem finding that they needed to do now, that also comes in, I guess, to the question of of certain engineering-heavy organizations that are saying they don't really need a product manager. Do you think that that would shift this, or do you think that they're just forever going to be devoting a certain portion of their engineering uh, future revenue towards the product management role? My feeling on that is if, if an engineering-driven company, the successful ones actually have product management happening, right? They discovered a problem that needs to be solved and that people are willing to pay for a solution for. Once you've discovered that problem 
And if there's some people that have internalized that effectively, maybe there, maybe that's a CTO, maybe that's a VP of development, maybe it's a CEO, you can go pretty far without a product manager per se. But again, as the company grows, you're probably going to need a product manager to either either have product managers to focus on continuing to find and, and surface these problems and create solutions or drive the creation of solutions, or you're going to have to have the engineering organization or whoever it might be do that work. Or it could be marketing. A lot of companies, uh, non-high-tech companies, that's often marketing that's driving that. But if the company's going to be successful, there's a problem, there's a market problem, you're creating a solution to that problem and you're getting it to market. Somehow that's happening. Okay, fair enough. So let's assume the math works. I won't dig into too much of that. I do think that the earlier stage of company, the first couple product management hires, uh, especially when there are so many exogenous forces, like do you have the marketing spend? Do you have the right market? Do you even have uh, you know, potential partnerships? I'd say the the BD people of the world and the salespeople of the world can have a more specific number. I'd say product is, you know, as with most other parts of the job, a little bit hazy in there. So the question to me is how do you apply that every day? And the way that I was thinking about it just today is when you're not just spending your time, because the idea of trying to maximize every minute just gets overwhelming and you sort of start panicking that you've lost a minute and then all of a sudden you've lost another minute and you know, your, your debt, you know, your, your need to be valuable to the company debt just flies out the window. But when I think about the ways to apply this, to me, it's saying if the company has whatever revenue goal next year, is the product or the feature or the issue that I'm working on right now going to contribute to potentially $10 million of extra next year? Right. Yep. I, I, I agree. That's the way you need to look at it for sure. Right. And that can be a hard thing, but I think it also just sort of keeps you focused on the big picture. Yeah. Well, let me, let me think of, let me sort of put it this way. I think that the nature of product management is not that every minute you account for how you're contributing to that revenue. It's over the course of the year, have I done, have I focused on 10 things that are going to each result in a million dollars of revenue or, you know, uh, you know, whether that's revenue, that's new revenue or it's growth revenue or it's not losing to a competitor or whatever it might be. You know, just like for a salesperson, right? Salespeople don't spend all their time making calls. Once they get an, an, an opportunity going, they spend a lot of time on that opportunity. And the bigger the opportunity, the more time they're willing to spend on it. And so that's sort of what we do as product managers, right? I've spent most of my time on a big feature in the last year at my company or on a couple big features that are related. The, the hope is that that feature will generate an additional five to ten million dollars of revenue over the course of the next twelve months because I'm because I'm just ramping up. I'm I'm my expectation is more in the five range than the ten range. Obviously, the next twelve months I have to have a little bit higher goal. The other side of the of the a coin though, I think you mentioned just I wanted to get back to something you mentioned earlier. Unlike a sales number, it's pretty hard to hold a product manager accountable for that ten million dollar number. In some sense, it's really just a mental construct because, you know, we're not actually measured on it. We're not really comped on it either because it's too hard to measure, as you say. It's too hard to say, I did this thing a year ago and it resulted in $10 million of, of revenue or I did these five things a year ago. Uh, the, the, the pieces are just a little bit too hard to connect. Which, again, 
I think you're right. The mental construct is useful in the sense that you always look at what you're doing or the feature you're working on, I think is a, a better minimum piece to consider. As I, as I look at the next feature that I'm building, is it something that could contribute one to $10 million? Right. And if it's the one, you better hope you're going to get 10 or 12 of those out. You know, it's like the month, it's the feature of the month. But if it's anything larger than that, if it's a quarterly focus, if it's a semi-annual focus, or if it's just the one thing you really want to get done that year, you better hope that it's worth $10 million. And then part of that will also help spur the product manager to be marketing focused as well, as opposed to just being uh, engineering focused, right? Because you could have a, a $100 million product, but if nobody knows about it, or if everyone who hears about it hears that it's something totally different, you're never going to get that that actual money in the door. So being able to interface with marketing and to certainly to get their feedback, if you're able to say, oh, here's the feature we're working on. This is the target audience. This is why we think it's going to be big. Here's ways that we think that you can message it or the key points that will resonate with the target audience. Then you're getting, A, you're getting the feedback from marketing going, oh, okay, that makes sense. Let's maybe do it this way. Or maybe they come back and say, oh, actually, that, that seems to fit in with this bigger theme, or they can say, actually, those are those are just chock full of keywords that nobody ever cares about. We spend a bunch of money trying to advertise them, and you know nobody ever clicks. Nobody actually cares about that. And although I think a lot of product marketing and, and engineering, sorry, product management and engineering will sometimes kind of scoff at at marketing in some cases, I'd say marketing is one of your best internal tools to just understand how much you're going to have to push a product versus it being pulled. So just the natural reaction of your marketing team, if they understand your audience, if they understand your product and your business, if your marketing team goes, uh, okay, or if they go, uh, all right, you might not be shooting for the right feature. Whereas if they go, oh, okay, got it. Then, you know, at the very least, you've probably got something that intrigues them and might turn out better copy. Right, right. Well, you know, and I and I sort of feel like you need to go to marketing with that information in hand. You need to you need to say we validated this with the you know, this feature we validated as a unmet need that's worth something. You know, we know who the people are, we know what they look like, we know how to talk to them about this. You know, that's the ideal that you actually have done all of that in advance. And um I did want to also come back to something else that you that you said, you know, like even though you can't be measured on on this, um, the fact is that if you want to have a growing software company, if you want to be part of a growing software company, you know you're not going to get exactly get punished for not delivering on the ten million dollars of revenue. But that's what you need to do to grow, right? So in some sense, you're going to lose your job if you don't do it. Over the if you don't do it for a couple of years in a row, your revenue is not going to grow, and your job is going to go away because the company is going to go away. Right. Right. Now, where do you think this fits into non-enterprise software businesses? Right? I think a good way to stress test the general model is, does it apply to another industry at maybe a different ratio or a different measurement barometer? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's a good question. And I, th I think some, some industries that would be interesting to look at, and I, I don't know enough about the ratios, is something like gaming, you know, or, or games, not, not gaming. Um, and you could also look at things like um, like non-software non-software industries like 
a hardware company. Now, I don't know what the ratios are, but I'm sure there are ratios that are sort of considered standard good ratios for a hardware company or for a game company. You know, in terms of how many developers or how many engineers are there compared to revenue, it has to always be, you know, if you think about how much engineers get paid, it always has to be a, rev a ratio of around one engineer per million dollars. It's gonna, I, I don't see any way around that because engineers are going to make up about 20% of the company. Um, you know, but, you know, if, if your company, if your industry is one where the engineers make up 50% of your company, then the, the, the ratios are probably going to be closer to uh, $5 million per engineer or, or whatever the ratio is. I can't do it in my head, Rob. You need to help me out. <laughs> two, maybe it's $2 million per engineer or one half a million dollar per engineer, whatever it might be. The, the point is that there are those ratios. I don't know what they are. I think that the other interesting one is what, what are the ratios for consumer software? Like, for example, Facebook. Really anything that's advertising-driven. Advertising or um, attention, right? So if you think about Facebook, Facebook actually has two sources of, of two things that they're earning. One is they're earning money from their advertisers. The other thing is that they're earning attention from their users, and then they, res then they resell the attention to the advertisers, right? For, for a Facebook, you'd, you'd want to say, well, how much is, is the attention worth? Or, so if you're a product manager at Facebook, you probably are focused on either attention, meaning how do I get more people to spend more time on Facebook, or you're focused on revenue. How do I get more advertisers to pay me for the attention that, I'm get, that the other guys are delivering to me? And so my guess is that if you were to look at Facebook and sort of look at the financials, it would be around $10 million per product manager if you sort of if you sort of had a conversion factor between attention and what you could sell the attention for. That's just a guess, though. I'm, I'm not really sure, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, and it seems pretty interesting to look at some of those companies. So let's take gaming as an example. Gaming, I think, is probably the perfect hybrid between an enterprise software and, you know, something else, like a, like a Facebook. The... Gaming model, I think, is one of the ones that is most statistically uh, rigorous in the way that they view an improvement to a game. Right? It's you have like two or three average. You know, sorry, uh, you have two or three revenue models. One is just buy the game ahead of time, which is primarily a long legacy company or a game with multiple iterations that people are just willing to buy flat out. There's the freemium advertising which is, I can't even think, maybe Candy Crush might have done that. And then there's the in-app purchase with some advertising, I'm sure, right? So like a 50-50 split. I would bet that the vast majority of the revenue is designed to be coming out of the in-app purchases, right? Like there was an example of a Smurfs game that was $20 million, sorry, $20,000, $50,000, just to buy everything that's in the game. So... To me, every one of those product managers is focused entirely on getting someone through a particular place in the game or a particular velocity through an easy portion of the game to then hit them with a barrier they can't get through without purchasing something or a really difficult slow part that they can speed up by buying something in the game. So all of those metrics, although separate, would 
likely produce revenue much faster than most other industries? Well, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I think there definitely are, as, as you say, I mean, and as you use the example, games, are, and particularly these sort of casual games that are so addictive, there are some unicorns. Like, I think that probably Uber is not, doesn't fit our model. Uh, just like probably Zynga didn't fit the model in the early days of Zynga, just because they were unusual in, in, in that way. Yeah, and in there somewhere, I'm sure that there's a point for uh, for people to look at overall enterprise value as opposed to particular revenue value. The question is just, at what point does that model break down? And right. you yeah. mentioned unicorns. I think that's a perfect example because there's likely some companies that were overvalued as an enterprise and mm-hmm. the math is just not working out. At some point, people are not going to drive enough revenue to a business so that once it's mature and the shine is worn off that, you know, people are going to pay either on the open market or an acquisition for that, you know, that, that enterprise value. Right. And there's a weird place. I think this is also interesting on your math. When does a business sort of cross the threshold of needing to generate its own revenue versus being strategically acquired for what it's building? at a value that's higher than what it could generate in revenue, right? Because right. there's always that right. that fun little period where a competitor or a strategic part of your industry could acquire you for nothing to do with your revenue, right? Maybe it's just IP, maybe it's a breakthrough that you had that you couldn't even figure out how to monetize mm-hmm. and could enable them to be either more efficient. I keep thinking of Amazon and buying the company with the smart robots that move around their entire fulfillment centers. Mm-hmm. I would say that the people who built those robots had no idea the type of impact it could have to Amazon specifically, right? And trying to sell it to third-party fulfillment centers across the world would probably not have generated the type of revenue that it could generate for Amazon alone. Right, right. Well, I, I think it's a, it's a good point. I think no matter what is going on at Amazon, they still have to make more money, and they and they make a lot more money than they spend on product managers and everybody else, right? So there's always a multiplier. Everybody has a multiplier. Everybody in the organization has a multiplier because you have to make some profit once you get profitable. Now, you know, my model also t- talks about this being forward-looking revenue. So, you know, at any given time, a company might not be actually profitable, but the stuff that I'm working, like the stuff that I'm working on right now, it's not going to the bottom line yet because it's just barely in the market. But you know, next year it will contribute to the bottom top line and bottom line, um, and that may, you know, at, at some companies that may be the difference between that may be where the company crosses over to being profitable, um, or it may be where the company crosses over to being an attractive acquisition target. For if, if we're talking about product features that that are interesting. You know, as you say, there's lots of different uh, things that can be interesting. That's one of the realities of this as well. Let's uh, let's see if we can uh, wrap this up. I think this has been a really interesting conversation. What what do you think we can uh, recommend that our folks uh, take away from from this conversation? What are what are the three things, Rob? So the the first thing I'd say is take any of these ratios as as mental frameworks, right? We mentioned this a couple times, but at the end of the day, this should be 
a way to stack or rank or filter through the things you could be doing every day. There's stuff that could be valuable and could potentially turn into a million or two or $3 million worth of revenue. And there are things that are probably not going to help that much. So always keeping this as a framework saying, you know, next year there needs to be $10 million of revenue coming from the things that I'm doing now or the things that I'm contributing to, I think is a, is a good sobering focusing fact as long as it doesn't become overwhelming, right? Yeah, you don't want to let it stop you from doing doing things. Uh, a second piece is if you think about the big activities that we do as product managers, the, um, the, the finding market problems, the guiding creation of solutions to the problems and taking things to market, really consider how much time you're spending on those three things. Make sure you're spending enough time on finding those market problems because that's where you're that's, that's what's going to generate your revenue, right, is people buying solutions to their problems. And so you have to find good ones. There's a lot of leverage in making sure you're doing a really good job of finding those. So talking to customers, prospects, the customers of competitors, and lost prospects to understand the most important problems and figure out what you can do to make that next incremental million dollars or $5 million. Yeah, and I think an important thing to remember is that Sometimes the the lean methodology or whatever methodology you want to talk about that basically says go through and and narrow down your focus and narrow down your focus and really get to the heart of an issue, that can seem like you're not going to contribute that million dollars or that $10 million. So it's important to remember that, yes, you could could you know, pull your head up from from the desk and look around at the world and say, this thing that's vaguely tangential to what my business does or what we're focusing on or the market that's sort of next door seems like it's massive. So moving that direction is clearly going to be worth $10 million, even if we don't do that well. Oftentimes that ends up not being correct because you just never get the momentum you need to enter the market effectively. Whereas focusing and niching down into a smaller and smaller group so that you can really focus on them that's valuable to a point until you get some sort of validation or some indication from the market that you're bottoming out on a particular vein of interest. And that's a very hard thing to balance. But I would just say to to temper the first two points, remember that going for the biggest target does not always mean it's achievable. That's three things that you can take away from this talk. Um, if you have additional questions or additional ideas about ways that you can use this, this concept of the business value product management. And I'm sure we're going to come back to it multiple times over the, the course of the season. Definitely let us know. You know, drop us a line on the blog or on the Twitter or whatever you might want to do. Rob, I think we kind of drove this one into the ground for today, don't you think? A good amount of information and hopefully the listeners agree. Follow up with us in the normal ways until the next time. Thanks for listening to All the Responsibility and None of the Authority with me and Rob McGordy. We'll talk to you again soon. Ignition.